Hello, listeners. Welcome to PR Hangover. I'm Emma Nelson, and you're listening to a public relations podcast brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter. Grab a cup of coffee, relax, and get ready to talk all things PR. Hello, PR Hangover listeners. Welcome to today's episode. Mr. Javon Dobbs is here um, after his appearance at PR Prep School. We're so excited to have him here. So if you just want to give us a little introduction about yourself. Sure, sure. Emma, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Thanks again for having me. So um, Javon Dobbs, um, I am a, a Christ follower, husband, father unapologetically black and Puerto Rican that sort of sums me up as a person um but as a professional um I am very passionate about storytelling and social justice like I believe shape our lives and so using a variety of mediums we can tell stories um stories about true uh, things that are happening in people's lives and communities that will transform society um, to benefit all of us. Um, and this passion led me to study journalism when I was an undergrad at Western Michigan University. Um, I also studied Spanish and traveled abroad. And while I was abroad, um, I went to Argentina for a semester um, and volunteered. And I fell in love with the nonprofit sector. And so um, I went on to graduate school um, to study um, public administration, and my emphasis was in nonprofit leadership and administration. So I have the privilege and honor now to serve as a communications manager at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, um, where, where I've been almost five years this June. Um, and, you know, that passion and sort of my educational journey really um, came to a head in being able to intern at the Kellogg Foundation while I was finishing up graduate school. So I did that for a year and then it it went well. And so I've been there as an employee um, for years and it's been an amazing journey Um, and it's a, a great organization. So if you want to describe um, the work you do at the Kellogg Foundation and kind of like your typical work day and what that looks like. This is a tough question, but I'll start off with um, sort of the, the facts and I'll talk about the Kellogg Foundation in particular. So I think, you know, um, some folks may be familiar, others may not be as familiar, but the WK Kellogg Foundation is among um, the largest philanthropic foundations in the U.S., um, we've just recently celebrated 90 years as an organization. We were founded by um, breakfast cereal innovator and entrepreneur Will Keith Kellogg. So the same man that's refined the cornflake also started a foundation in the 1930s on the, you know, at the onset of a, a Great Depression. Um, and he wanted to invest his money to benefit children. And so that is our bread and butter. That is our heart as an organization. Um, and we focus on um, grant making in three different key areas, um, thriving children. So areas of health and education, working families, um, making sure that parents and families have 
um, high quality jobs um, and equitable employment and, and ways to um, take in income to support their families and thriving communities because children are in families and those families live in communities. So in order for them to really thrive, they have to be in equitable um, um, places of opportunity. Um, so those are some areas in, embedded with all, within all we do is our commitment to racial equity and racial healing. Um, so you'll see that in all of the work that we do um, because we believe that's one of the, um, the key challenges of our generation is um, addressing racial equity and racial healing um, here in the U.S. and in many ways and around the world. Um, and then, I'll, you know, just to say um, a couple more things about that, we, we work not only in the U.S., but in with sovereign tribes, but we also have priority places. Michigan is one of our priority places. We're based in Battle Creek, Michigan, um, but we also work in Mississippi and New Mexico and New Orleans in the U.S. and internationally, we're, we work in Haiti and Mexico. Um, and so as a member of the communications team, we really focus on the foundation's um, voice, narrative, and knowledge. So really thinking about the thought leadership of the foundation, being able to use our platform to elevate the voices of our grantees and communities, and then really telling compelling stories, stories that matter to am amplify the transformational work that's happening, not only at the foundation, but with um, the grantees that we serve and the communities they work in. Um, and knowledge is really just using the knowledge that we've learned from all these, you know, this decades of work and giving that to the field to really um, make some advances. Um, as far as me day to day, you know, things ebb and flow. It's um, I'm actually coming back um, to the office pretty soon here from being on parental leave. Um, so it's going to be a, a, a learning curve all over again, but it's going to be great. Um, so, you know, my day to day, it, it depends on sort of the projects that we have going on. So as a communications manager, I don't necessarily manage people, but I manage products or products and projects. Um, and, you know, but people, you know, are essential. Be, you know, there's a quote um, from a former staff member at the Kellogg Foundation that I sort of is a, a mantra for me, but it's um, relationships are primary and all else is derivative, meaning that everything starts off in relationship. Uh, relationships are key to being effective within a team and whatever work you do. Um, so, you know, we have what we, we have a, a networked organizational structure, which means that um, it's not just operating sort of in silos. You know how like universities are set up a lot of times. There's departments and there's deans and then those departments kind of work together and then the deans will kind of, uh, you know, come together and talk about their work across uh, the university, but kind of breaking down some of those walls that may exist to where we can be able to kind of talk and work more laterally and intersectionally across. So, for instance, typically you will have like a finance team, you would have um, like an HR team and you would have. Um, all these different things. So just imagine instead of these just separate teams, which we have to have those sort of core, but having some of those people integrated within a smaller team. So on a communications team, being able to work um, not only, you know, just focus within one particular 
um, centralized in, in the organization, but really spread out through all uh, the different areas that we work in. So we have communication staff that not, not only sort of work on um, like our core um, kind of uh, organizational communications, but we have folks that work in New Mexico in New Orleans internationally. So we're able to work across the organization and work in this really agile way. So anyway, as a part of the core communications team, um, you know, we have a, my day looks like a daily standup at nine o'clock every day. We meet uh, for about 20 or 30 minutes and we use uh, Trello, which is like a Kanban um, where you basically have these virtual post-its and there's work that is moving from being in development to um, being um, in review to being done. And there's other work that's sort of on on the, the horizon. So we're able to really organize our work and see what's at hand today and work in this really organized way. And this is really cool because we had this in place even before the pandemic. So once Corona hit, we were like good to go. And you know, our organization, I know it's been tough on everybody, but I, I'm thankful that we were able to have some foresight to be able to have these mechanisms set up to where, you know, all of our people have been working virtually, a lot of folks from home um, since last March, and we, we continue to do that, and we're still being able to be effective in our work. Um, so my day starts out like that. I'm a big to-do list type person, so I used to write these 10 item to-do lists, but that doesn't really work for me. I try to focus on the three things that I have to do today. And that could be big or small. It could be like an email I have to write or a conversation I have to have or a decision that needs to be made to move the work forward. Um, but I try to focus on three things a day. And then, you know, I'm, a, I'm mainly focused on different projects. So it's kind of thinking about where that project is and, and what can I do today to kind of inch it forward. Um, and be able to also do some of the day-to-day -day stuff, like, you know, write a press release, draft a tweet, um, doing a, a review, a report, uh, make a recommendation on, you know, A, B, and C. So there's a lot of different things that I'll do. Um, as a part of that core team, it, it kind of, it runs the gamut. We do a lot of different things from, you know, sort of core communications, internal comms. We have an intranet system that we have to put a lot of different information on. I've been involved in that. Externally, press releases, different announcements um, that go on our website, that go on different social media pages. I've done some video production. So there's all, uh, uh, it runs the gamut on different things that we might do from day to day. Um, but starting on my day at, at that meeting really sets us up. And then there's meetings that happen virtually. Um, but the, the great thing is, is that, you know, we use meetings as a way to move things forward and not just to meet to meet. And so we're able to have some independent work time um, to be able to, to do some writing or to make a phone call or um, do some research and stuff like that. If you want to kind of describe how you found nonprofit in within the communications industry and how you knew that that was kind of the route you wanted to go. I'll say, first of all, when I was an undergrad and I thought about nonprofit, I immediately thought about not making any money because of the name. Right. But so there's a huge misconception, I think, about the nonprofit field. First of all, it's very broad. In the U.S., we have a very rich history in the nonprofit sector. 
And, um, you know, you have a very uh, many different types of tax exempt organizations from fraternities and sororities are an example to sort of our familiar YWCA or YMCA, some of the larger nonprofits, but then there's local nonprofits. Churches are considered nonprofits. Uh, but then we have this philanthropic sector that's made up of different types of foundations. Um, and that was an area that I was really interested in coming into grad school. Uh, like I said before, when I was in Argentina, I volunteered at a Ronald McDonald house there. And I always, you know, service was always really important to me. I was very involved on campus and different organizations, my fraternity and so forth. Um, so being able to work in that sector was really fascinating to me because it was about giving back and serving a particular mission and population and goal. Um, but then I started to think about my communications background. So, you know, I studied journalism. I wanted to be a, a news reporter initially, um, but then I to think about, okay, what does my communication skills look like in this nonprofit sector? And once I started actually looking into philanthropy in particular, um, it was really amazing because, you know, I was doing my research looking at, uh, in Kalamazoo, looking at some of the different foundations that were there, the community foundation and others. And then I ran a product across the Kellogg Foundation and I, was, and I started doing my research and I'm like, wow, we have this major foundation, major player in the field right in our backyard here in Battle Creek. Um, and the Kellogg Foundation, you know, I know I work there, so I won't toot our horn too much. I know there's a lot of great other philanthropies out there, but when it comes to really walking and talk about values around racial equity, like we have an African-American um, female CEO. She's the first woman or African-American CEO um, Lejeune Montgomery Tabron, and you know her leadership alone just sets the tone for what our executive team looks like. Fifty percent of our top executives are people of color. Forty percent of our staff are people of color. You, when you look at most organizations, that's very unheard of. And so, you know, the Kellogg Foundation has been at this a while, and you know, there's no nobody arrives, but the journey and the sort of the the walk in the walk is really there or walk in the talk is really there. So that's what really drew me, the mission, the focus on racial equity um, and racial healing. And then, you know, looking at communications, everything involves communications. No organization can function without communications. And I know there's small nonprofits that have an executive director. That executive director you know, it might be two people on staff, but that executive director, somebody's writing tweets, somebody's on social media, somebody's writing letters to funders, somebody's talking to grantees and trying to capture their stories, somebody's, you know, talking to the media. So communications is important within every organization. So when, it talk, when we think about philanthropy, um, communications is key because we are able to amplify the work that we're doing and the thing about it is, you know, again, when I talked about stories in the beginning, like all of us make decisions based on stories that we're told and we believe. Like, you know, we believe that, you know, Trader Joe's has some of the best products out there. And so we go to Trader Joe's or we hear a story about how we have this amazing product we see on TikTok. So then we go and purchase that product. So when we think about policy and we think about narrative, um, you know, there's different 
you know, policies that we support because of the stories that we believe about the impact that those policies will make, or there's things we believe about each other. There's stories we believe about ourselves. So being able to um, use communications to um, advance um, a mission that focuses on children and that focuses on equity so that everybody can be able to benefit. It's not just a us versus them, but it's a, a we thing. Uh, so being able to tell that story and sort of debunk a lot of the myths and mistruths and misinformation that's going out there because we know that's a very prevalent thing. So you talked a lot about racial equity and how the Kellogg Foundation really stands for that. And so I would um, love to hear just how you personally and as a whole within your job promote social justice through your work. Yeah, so social justice, um, you know, I think is a key piece of the history of the Kellogg Foundation. Um, and then, like I told you, like my own personal, you know, being a person who was uh, is a part of two different cultures, being a person who's African-American, Black, and Puerto Rican, um, you know, I've always had a shorter, had to straddle two different cultures growing up. And so that's been a part of me. Um, and then thinking about sort of uh, the things that I've experienced, there's things that my grandmother who grew up in Grand Rapids, but her parents grew up in Mississippi and left Mississippi because of racial violence. Um, so that that story, you know, trend, that's the, that sort of narrative um, reverberates throughout our, our, our family history, but there's also stories of a success and overcoming a lot of different um, struggles and different challenges. And then, you know, also learning, you know, the broader history of our, our country and learning the broad, broader history of, um, you know, just North America and so forth. Like really realizing when it comes to racial equity, like as much as we don't think that, a lot of people say like, we try to make everything about race. Um, and a lot of things are about race. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's not a matter of um, trying to, um, you know, use like a straw man or trying to use like a scapegoat, but really um, addressing things at the root. So I, I'll give you an example. Like there's so much, so, so much coronavirus, for example, the virus, has shown us how unequitable our country it really is. It's the same virus, but yet it's hitting people of color at alarming rates. So you have to think about who are the people that are, you know, even though everything's shut down, who are the people that get to work from home? What do they look like? Where do they live? What kind of money do they make? What kind of jobs do they have? Essential workers are majority women and, um, people of color. These are people that are at the grocery store, the people who are Uber drivers, the people who are delivering our groceries. They're exposing themselves and their families and they have to because they have to be able to survive. But yet um, there's sort of this double burden or even racism itself has a, a health um, cost, you know? And so rate experiencing uh, microaggressions at work or, um, experiencing um, different types of uh, bias actually affects your 
immune system to where you're more prone to catch this virus. So I'm not trying to say that racism, racism, everything's about race, but a lot of things are in that our history is so wrapped up in this idea of a racial hierarchy and this idea of, of folks who look a certain way are more valuable than others. And it translates into even today. So we have current examples. It's not a, just a, a hundred years ago thing. It's not just my grandparents. We have current examples of just last week, um, um, all the, the Asian women that were killed by this man. And we, you know, we can say we need to sit here and wait for the facts, but the truth of the matter is the majority of these people were Asian American and they were targeted for a reason. And a lot of that has sort of um, been undergirded by this idea, this this issue around anti-Asian bias that's been going on for a long time. And we've seen an uptick of it even um, in light of the coronavirus. So that's the reality. We have to speak truth. And But the, but the truth is, it, this issue is not um, something that we cannot overcome. I think people get fatalistic and think that, oh, we can't. We can't undo this, but we've made strides, even though we're not there yet. We've made a lot of strides. And so it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Let's pick up the baton from the generation that's come before us and make the progress that we can make now. And so the Kellogg Foundation is doing that on a lot of different fronts when it comes to the grants we make, when it comes to the, the knowledge products that we produce. Like we have this... Um, National Day of Racial Healing that we do every annually. We just celebrate the fifth annual one, um, um, uh, the day after MLK Day this year, which was timely, um, because we all know that um, we all know that this is a huge issue, and it's going to take not only um, these practical um, policy changes, but it's also going to take hard changes from people for us to see our common humanity and one another and moving forward. And the truth of the matter is this, Emma, is that when we address, when we tackle racial equity, we're not just doing it for people of color, we're doing it for everybody. It's not just a people of color issue, it's an everybody issue. Um, because you, li we literally are um, stripping um, from ourselves when we don't address these issues um, in our communities and we have an opportunity to really um, not only level the playing field, but just transform the trajectory of, of where our country is going because we know that we, we're at a really pivotal point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's important for all of us to hear, especially our listeners. Um, going into communications today and knowing that there are organizations who are fighting for that. So thank you for sharing your insight. Um, and then kind of on that note, if you want to share proud moments of your career, challenging moments, um, anything that sticks out to you as you look back. There's been a lot of different things that have happened um, throughout the, the last few years. Um, I think I'm really proud about not only for myself, but for our organization about how we've pivoted when it has come to the whole issue around the coronavirus pandemic. Um, 
like again, I say it's sort of it was sort of fortuitous that we were able to be in a position to have an organizational structure that made it less of a hindrance for us to continue to do our work, which meant if it was less of a hindrance for us, then that meant it was less of a somewhat less of a burden on our grantees and the communities we serve because they were already dealing with so much. And so being able to kind of be there and be supportive and be um, in a posture to serve and to um, support our grantees um, says a lot. And then we've been able to just continue to double down on our mission. Like our CEO and a lot of our staff have just been very bold and courageous in this time and just speaking about the truth. Like, you know, these, it's not just the Kellogg Foundation, obviously, who've been leading this work, but we're able to say, hey, we have knowledge in this area. Like we've been along this journey for a little while, for a while now. And though we haven't arrived yet, this is what we can share about what we've learned. And so being able to sort of pull from the research and data and the grantees and just sort of this infrastructure that was already set up for this key moment in our history that although it's been very, very, very tough and traumatic, there's also this new light that has been shown on the realities of race and racism in the U.S. It's no longer an issue for them or an issue that's sort of secondhand, but it's we see it live in an action on TV. We see it in our families. We see it in our schools, whatever. So it's an everybody thing. And so now we're at a point where we're able to um, help support people along that journey. Um, and I've been really proud of that. I've been proud to be a part of an organization where I know that we're doing something about these issues. We're not just a lot of folks and, you know, not to disregard anybody. I'll be I'll, I'll be curious to see who continues to be about racial equity once things sort of settle in some regards, because a lot of people have put out statements and made commitments. But people need to be true about those commitments, because, you know, I know people like yourself. I don't know you personally, but I can imagine being a young person and seeing everything that's going on. Like you want to hold leaders to accountability. So that means like, hey, if you're going to make a commitment and not follow through, then I'm not buying products from you no more. I'm not going to, you might not get my vote next time around. You might not get my support because it's showing, you know, consumers, young people, especially they, they want, uh, their values are tied to their money. So how they spend money on products and what decisions they make are really tied to the values that they have. Um, so I, I, that's a sort of a broader answer, but I would say, you know, that's one of the key things I'm proud about right now is just our response. And I'll just say a couple examples. So not only we doubled, um, uh, we increased our payout, which so private foundations have to spend a certain amount of their money, like sort of their, um, their, uh, their assets annually, according to the IRS. So we've increased our payout over the next two years to really broaden the opportunities for grantees. And not only that, we had this um, opportunity called the um, Racial Equity 2030, which I'll have the honor of being a part of, uh, where we're giving out $90 million 
between now and 2030 to be able to advance racial equity, not only in the U.S., but globally. And so we've had, um, you know, people submit applications from hundreds of places, hundreds of, um, of countries throughout the world um, have submitted applications. So this isn't just a U.S. issue. This is a global issue. Um, and I'm just been proud to be a part of that. And as we close, if you just want to give any communications industry students um, as they enter postgraduate life, any advice? Yeah, you know, um, we talked a little bit about this in, in the meeting we had recently, but I think the key thing is, you know, um, to uh, have a vision for your future and, and work towards that vision with day-to-day decisions. Um, and then, um, you know, so for instance, like whatever you want to do, communications is super broad, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Um, you don't need to wait for anybody's acceptance or approval to start doing the things that you're passionate about. Like, especially now without the technology that we have, like if you want to be an excellent writer, start a blog, start a, you know, start a TikTok, start something to be able to write. Your writing is key. Make sure that you're a strong writer. Learn how to write in different forms and formats. Um, know how to tell stories and, and be able to do that in different mediums. Just be sort of, I think it's called autodidactic, where you're like a self-learner. And, and there's tons of tools. Go to YouTube University and learn a new trade or a new skill. Just continue to continuously learn to make yourself marketable. Um, and be, you know, have sort of some grit about you, have some patience and some grit and some, um, you know, sort of some um, persistence, you know, because I, I say, I think, I thank God for the opportunity that I've had, but, um, you know, I didn't, I knew that getting into philanthropy, I, I had to go sort of a different route. It wasn't, you know, because you go on most people's websites and they're like entry level jobs. I need five to six years experience. It's like, where do I get that from? <laughs> does does me working um, at, you know, a lemonade stand count? But anyway, um, so, you know, you have to be sort of have sort of an entrepreneurial mindset. You know, don't just think about just one way, you know, think about multiple ways, you know, like investors, they do they diversify their investments. So think about having sort of a diversity of investments um, when it comes to like uh, your career. And, and it's okay if you don't land, land your dream job right away. Maybe you don't get to Chicago right away or New York or Boston or Seattle, wherever you wanna go, but that's okay. Maybe you go to Des Moines, Iowa and get you a job where you can get a bunch of experience and then you can make a hop to somewhere else. I think a lot of times we, we overlooked small beginnings. We think like, oh, I need to, you know, I need to have my job lined up. And we're doing a lot of comparison. Don't do that. Just run your first, stay in your lane because social media is nothing but a human highlight reel anyway. Um, So just focus on you and focus on where you're trying to go and think about what steps. Maybe this job doesn't have everything I want right now. Maybe it doesn't have everything I, I want right now, but what can I get from it to, to get to the next place? Um, and the money will come. The money will come. Just It'll come. It just takes time. And it'll come not only from the work you do, but maybe you 
monetize whatever you're doing online to be able to make some extra money. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, I could say a lot, but that those are the big things, you know, just entrepreneurial, be persistent, be patient and believe in yourself. Believe in yourself like this, this idea of imposter syndrome is real. Um, but if you're there, you belong, you know? Like I had a boss one day tell me, he said, if I give you an interview, that means you're qualified for the job. I'm just trying to see if you will be a good fit. You know, nobody's wasting their time to interview you if you can't do the job. Like people spend so much money doing interviews and stuff. So if you get in the room, make it happen. And if it don't happen, move on to the next. Because whatever is for you will be for you. But yeah, that's about it. You guys got this. You know, I know it's been tough. Hang in there. If you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. Trust me. Wow, what an ending to that. That is absolutely perfect. I'm feeling inspired. I hope our listeners do as well. Um, So thank you so much for joining us today. This was so insightful. And yeah, I'm just excited. So thank you. Thank you, Emma. I appreciate the opportunity. It's It's good talking to you today. Thanks for listening. Tune in every other Wednesday for a new episode of PR Hangover. Follow us on Twitter at GV underscore PRSSA and visit GVPRSSA.com to get insights on this week's episode.